I can never get tired of hearing that song. Uh, welcome, everybody, to The Created Economy. It's our weekly interview series where my co-host, Greg, and I chat with the players from the creator economy at large and discuss the key topics impacting the growth of the industry. You can catch all new episodes on Wednesdays uh, and find out more about us on our website at createdeconomy.com. And while you're searching for us, feel free to follow us everywhere on social media at Created Economy on Twitter. Uh, like and subscribe our videos on YouTube uh, at Created Economy. And for all the news that we are curating around the creator economy, go to flipboard.com slash at Created Economy. And with that, uh, why don't we bring on, you know who I forgot to bring on? I forgot to bring on Greg. Hey, Greg. I forgot to mention the creator economy. The creator economy? Did I not say creator economy enough times? I'm just doing this for SEO purposes. I'm glad this is a uh, drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's also good that we are recording in the morning or afternoon so it's not at night other, so you're drinking coffee instead. you can listen and drink whenever you choose that's the power of the podcast <laughs> no one will ever know um, all right well greg how are you doing today i am happy to be sitting upright after being completely sick for three days straight so oh man a, a welcome improvement over did yesterday. you uh, did you get sick from uh, after going to CEX? I went to CEX <clears throat> and I was sick after it. Whether or not those two are related uh, is you know there's no causality. Yeah, there. no, yeah, that, absolutely. There's there's no correlation between the two, but it's like I, I've seen a couple of people that just obviously have gone traveling to various other places and have come back. Basically, and, what I figured out is that me being around any strangers is basically going to make me sick now from two years of being <laughs> of just my family. Your immunity has waned. Um, right. And with that, <laughs> let's bring on our guest. Um, her name is Rachel King. Uh, Rachel and I actually know each other from back in the day when I was a reporter and she was at, was it WAG or Rover? I can't, I can't recall. Dog Vacay, who was acquired by Rover. Yeah. Okay, I knew it was one of the one of the different variations. One of the pet marketplaces. Yeah. Um, and and I was always a sucker for getting pitched um, anything that involved dogs. So you know, I I, I love dogs. So um, you know, Rachel always knew how to uh, tug at my heartstrings and say, "Here you go, make me free." Um, but yeah, so now Rachel is a founder, uh, a co-founder. She has uh, started a company called Pod People an amazing company, um, especially very relevant because, you know, it's all about podcasting and hi, you're listening to a podcast or you're watching <laughs> a podcast. So we figured let's bring on an expert to help us figure out how we can do better. Um, and with that, uh, Rachel, thank you so much for joining Greg and I on the show. Uh, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'd love that. Um, so pod people exactly, as you said, aptly named, um, we are a marketplace for podcast production. So we have a full service production team and we make podcasts for, you know, Fortune 500s like Optum and Intuit, a lot of startups such as Lattice and Chief and uh, some great media companies like Netflix and um, People Magazine, InStyle. So the thing that's different about us from other production companies is that we are powered by a talent network, a community that we've built of 2,500 audio professionals. So professional producers, editors, engineers, sound designers, um, you name it, people who uh, make the wonderful podcasts that you listen to every day, like This American Life and Radiolab and um, 
Valley Heat. That's my new favorite one that no one's ever heard of. Uh, so give that a listen if you don't know it. Very funny. Um, and uh, so we are able to put together the perfect team for any kind of show, no matter the genre or the format, and of course, subject matter expertise, even if having a producer or a scriptwriter with a certain identity matters to the show. You know, we're doing one for Spotify and Invisible Hand right now for Pride Month. So that entire production team identifies as queer and just having the people who are making the content and behind the scenes, so to speak. Um, also understanding the perspective of the the work that they're making, you know, it makes a huge difference. And um, this talent pool really is like our secret sauce to everything that we do. And uh, so obviously it's a community. So we have a discussion group where people can help each other out. We have a mentorship program. We do all kinds of educational events to help people level up. And most recently, we started a pod pipeline to be able to get their original ideas to the development execs in audio world who are commissioning and funding, uh, you know, original works. Um, so the Wonderies and Netflixes and Spotify's of the world who are looking for the next big podcast idea. So, you know, we have their ear because they are our clients. And so it's really easy for us to then, you know, play matchmaker and be attached to the production company and put the creator at the center of our team. Um, and, and get their ideas made. So getting the ideas down from the little guys up to, you know, the big, the big wallets, so to speak. Rachel, Rachel let me ask a question if, just for folks that maybe don't understand. Yeah. You a little bit me. Um, why does all this matter? Like, you know, I think folks don't necessarily know, uh, everyone doesn't quite understand what it takes to produce a great podcast, yeah. I guess, right? So like, could you unpack a little bit more about, I get there's all these roles, do you, you know, it's kind of like, uh, when do you need all of these things and, and sort of like, you know, how do people evolve? Like, what's that journey like from like, can, you know, do you start versus like, do you need this support network? And are you a way to start better than you might if you just went and downloaded Anchor like we did? Yeah. So I feel like there's four stages, right, of, of podcast production. The first is you're doing it yourself, uh, you're scrappy, you're um, just trying to figure out if this is something that resonates with you, if it's something you're going to stick with. And in those days, it really does make the most sense to do it yourself. Um, you know, it's probably good for you to learn a little bit of editing. Uh, most, you know, MacBooks have GarageBand, so you have something built in that's pretty easy to do in the beginning. Um and if you make it past six to 10 episodes, then you probably are going to stick with it. And that's that's where most people fall off. So if you make it past that point, um, at some point in that first year, I think you'll get to level two, which is, okay, I really need to outsource some of the production process or editing, depending on where your skill set lies. So are you better at booking the talent and preparing for the guests and doing more of the producer role on the front end where you're making sure that you're capturing great content? Or are you better at the post-production side where you want to do a tight edit? Um, so you would outsource one or the other. And so the second stage is kind of like you have one person who's helping you uh, either with the producer side, editing side, or both. And so they might be just mixing it, editing, putting the music in, or they might be helping you book guests, for et cetera. The next level, that's when we're really the first stage of professionals. So that's mostly um, what we're doing is we have a team of between three to six people, give or take, on any brand production that we're doing. So we'll have an executive producer, uh, a senior producer, sometimes an assistant producer, depending on how, uh, how much in-depth research there is, how much talent booking. 
We will often have a talent booker as well, especially for the shows like People and In Style, who are really going after that A-list celeb um, talent or expert talent for other shows. Um, we always have an editor, of course, a sound designer, an engineer, and that's kind of the core team for any professional show. Then as you're doing something more involved, such as something investigative that really needs to have, you know, journalistic fact-checking, reporting, Ken, you know a little something about that, um, all the way up to like the dailies of the world, which are not only doing that, but they're doing it on a daily cadence. So I think last time I checked, they had between 40 and 50 employees just working on the daily, not New York Times audio, but just the daily. So that'll give you, that I would say is the the biggest level. <laughs> so those are, we usually hover in that, um, that third tier where it's professional and we have uh, a team of somewhere between three and six people, depending on the scale of the, the, the show that we're making for a company or brand. So you work with, I mean, you mentioned all these different brands like L'Oreal, Spotify, People, Travel and Leisure, um, um, and, and, and like Twitter, Netflix, Spotify, NBC News, Medium. Are you... And it's, I find it fascinating that these big brands, right, are need, would need some help in terms of doing podcasting in general, right? I think you're like, oh, you're a big brand. Like you should have the, that expertise or you should be able to hire the expertise in-house. But is there is that just a myth? Is it that, you know, these they're also they might be experimenting in podcasting and they're like, hey, we want to we, we need somebody who's who can hit the ground running that that. Um, has all the access and all the connections and the relationships or, or the technical expertise to just at least get, you know, get this up without a steep learning curve. And so that's why they would say, Rachel, can your team help us out with this? I yeah. mean, what, what is the, what, and also what is the appeal of podcasting now uh, by, by brands? Yeah. So to answer the first question, like why outsource basically, there's a few different reasons. So for a media company, it's often a bandwidth thing. So they might be so busy and stretched so thin that it makes more sense to outsource, the, at least in the beginning, and see if it's something that they want to continue on with versus making the upfront investment of bringing people in-house. Often they've never done an audio strategy before too, and it is really different. You want to make sure that the podcast isn't the siloed special project off to the side. It shouldn't be just an experiment. It should be something that is woven into your overall content and marketing strategy for the year. And, you know, podcasts are really good at the same things as PR, but you have more control over the content and the story, obviously. Um, so when we're making a podcast for a company or a brand, we're like, what are your content goals for the year? How can this help uh, nudge people in the right direction? Like if we're working with a candidate, we think about, for example, we have, you know, talking to some candidates who are going to do political podcasts leading up to the midterms. Great. So if social media, you think of that as the soundbite that you want to circulate and reverberate. But then if anyone wants to go deeper and really get to know who you are, they might not be able to come to an event for obvious reasons, geography, COVID, what have you. And so being able to listen to someone's podcast lets you, it gives you the context. So we've, you know, we've been saying social media is the soundbite and the podcast is the context. It lets people who are interested in you as a brand, as a person, go deeper and get to know what do you really care about? What are your values? You know, what are the stories relevant to what you're doing that are interesting? 
Um, so for example, Ben and Jerry's doing all of these, um, you know, like uh, podcasts about racism and how we need to change this country going forward, which is very in line with their brand values for anyone who's ever known uh, Ben and Jerry's. Um, so it's, it's similar in terms of content marketing where you shouldn't just be an advertisement for whatever you're trying to do, but it should plug into that. We also will create a zillion different assets from the podcast that can be used on blog, on in your newsletter, on your website, um, obviously on social, so that you're getting a thousand different uses out of this half hour to an hour uh, episode. And um, obviously, there's lots of different reasons. So for some brands, they're actually trying to create a new revenue channel. So uh, for Meredith Corporation, now Dot Dash Meredith, one of their... Um, initiatives was like, we want to reach a new audience and podcasting is uh, largely a different audience than who was traditionally reading the magazines. Um, so we've been working with them for two years and now they have a whole network of podcasts. Um, so it can be used for content marketing, it can also be used for uh, a new revenue stream, obviously. Um, it is much better for not top of funnel, you know, so getting in front of people who've never heard of you before. But pulling people down through the funnel, making them fall in love with you, um, that's what they're really good for. And they're so sticky. I mean, if you think about someone looking at a passing tweet or Instagram, you're capturing half a second of their attention versus someone giving you 30 minutes to, you know, go dive in deep to something. It's so powerful. Gotcha. Uh, so let's take a step back. What has gotten, what is the appeal of podcasting to you? I know you talked about how podcast offers you more context, very similar to like you, you made the, the apt analogy of social media is the soundbite podcasts are, are gives you the context. But for you, what is your history in terms of technology? And what led you to say, you know what, I want to start this company. And the company I want to do is focused on helping people produce podcasts. Mm -hmm. and, and so what led you to, to that founder role? Yeah. So I was running, after I left Dog Vacay, I started my own uh, PR firm focused on early stage tech companies in Los Angeles. I was there at the time. And I had a lot of my clients start to ask me about creating a podcast as part of their content marketing because I had a just a hobby show for fun. I'd been a huge fan of podcasts even before I moved to LA. But um, once I was in Los Angeles and I had a commute from West Hollywood to Santa Monica, Ooh, they really, they saved me. And I just felt deeper and deeper in love, especially as more were being made and better, you know, more interesting content, different kinds of content. Um, and so when I realized brands, I had had even just a couple inquiries um, from companies who wanted to do this as part of their branding marketing strategy. And I thought, oh my God, you know, I, my career sort of, I saw that social media was going to be something that brands were going to uh, leverage as part of their content marketing years and years ago. And I was like, well, I'm already a power user of social media. I can absolutely figure out how to do that for Hyatt, you know? And then uh, that sort of happened for blogging and, you know, the different kinds of content marketing that I was overseeing at, you know, Sidecar and Dog Vacay in my um, startup days. And I just thought this is the next one. Like brands, I think, are going to, the smart ones are going to need to figure out what their audio strategy is. And if I can get out ahead of that and be sort of leading the charge in terms of what that looks like for, you know, branding and audio strategy, then we'll be in a really good position. And I was lucky it was like 2017. So, you know, the year of Serial, I think Serial was 2016. So like around that uh, time. 
And the first couple branded shows have come out. GE did The Message, which is still one of my favorites today. It's so good. Um, and so, yeah, I just got lucky. And then I had my Rolodex from being in communications and you know, content marketing world for so long. So it was not, not a huge stretch. I think one of the first shows we made was with Ryan Lawler uh, when he was, he'd gone in-house at Samsung Next. And oh, yeah. that was the first podcast that we made as pod people, you know, five years ago. Oh, I had no idea that, that you did, that you worked with Ryan back in the day. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know, Ryan Lawler, ex-TechCrunch, and now he's at Axios uh, reporting on finance, uh, fi fintech. So, sorry. Yeah. Quick. Quick side thing real quick. You said you worked at Sidecar also. Did you work I with did. Maria Agnaba? Yes. Oh, absolutely. She was head of community. Yeah, um, she, I think we wife. overlapped for only a month or two, but I loved yeah. her. She's I, my I wife. was oh, oh, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> um, let me tell you, I felt so guilty about leaving because I loved the team there so much, but I was offered the job at Dog Vegay to be head of communications and I wanted to move to LA so I couldn't pass it up. But knowing that she was coming in gave me like complete peace of mind oh, that she would great. be taking over the community. <laughs> I, I remember doing one of the first sidecar rides when there was still like you could gift. Oh man. Know, oh man, no, it was, it was it was painful. It was um, wild. It was a wild time. Yeah. <laughs> we, we shared an investor actually, uh, which is how I got to know Sidecar originally. Oh, cool. Um, I yeah. love it. Um, yes. Yeah, so to follow up a little bit on Ken's question, I guess, uh, you know, so I, I love hearing your story. Obviously, I love hearing how everyone becomes an entrepreneur. Um, today, I just came back from the CEX conference. It's the, you know, Creator Economy Expo, but, you know, sort of Joe Pulitzi puts on the event, uh, you know, ran Content Marketing World. Um, He's coined this term sort of content entrepreneurs, which we love. Uh, and I really liked hearing that some people are adding this as a revenue stream. I guess, like, do you see, how do you see the space shaping up and what kind of interest have you had, not from maybe like necessarily large brands, but maybe up and coming or individual, like, are you seeing this space move in this direction now? Like, um, who are the new entrants in the podcasting realm, like from, you know, your experience and, and what you've seen? Yeah, I think it's definitely trickled down. I feel like the first few years, it was like the Morgan Stanleys of the world, you know, who were, who had enough money to be like, why not? Sure. And now um, in the last six months, even we've seen a lot more of our clients are, you know, have raised between 10 and $70 million. So in that series A, series B realm, whereas before, it was really uh, public companies or like Series D and later had at least $100 million raised. Um, so we're definitely seeing an uptick in the the startup world, which is really exciting because that's where I came from, you know. So I'm like, God, if there's anything I know how to do, it's help like a Series A, Series B company get their messaging out in the right way. And I speak the language, which I think is an advantage coming from a creative agency, um, you know, being able to straddle both worlds. Um which Randy Zuckerberg was talking about a little bit. I really loved her, her, you know, her being the creative and the business brain together. I really related to that. Um, but yeah, we're seeing a huge uptick in startups realizing that this is a fairly low cost way uh, compared to, you know, a video production that needs lighting and needs a studio ideally and all of that. It's a very low cost way to create really sticky, high quality content that you can then use in a zillion different ways. And again, you have complete ownership over the story. Um, but there is something about 
hearing people's voices talk as a listener where you just, you trust it more because you can hear the emotion. You can hear how much someone cares. Whereas you sometimes don't get that when you're reading an article. Um, I think, I don't know, we're trained to respond to the human voice in a different way. Can you talk in terms of the commitment uh, on your part and on the brand's part? I would imagine that it is, in most cases, it's, you, you operate more on the, uh, teach a, teach a man to fish, uh, versus, uh, you know, give him, give a man a fish. Uh, is, would that be fair? Because it's, I'm thinking like, if you, when you engage these big brands, you know, engage a, a client and, you know, they may say, I haven't, I want to do a podcast, you know, I'm, I'd imagine that there's some strategy work where you would sit down with them and say, okay, why do you want to create a podcast? What mm-hmm. kind of podcast do you want to create? And maybe it- you shouldn't create a podcast. You know, sometimes exactly. we have clients come to it, us where we're like, it, you it, actually it, need to do podcast ads on other podcasts and we can make feels, them for you. It feels more like a build versus buy than a mm-hmm. fish versus not fish though, right? Because it, it, like, you know, if I understand what Rachel's doing right, you know, you can fractionalize a bunch of skills, right? Mm-hmm. Like from a network of people that otherwise you would have to sick HR on finding and recruiting and yeah, uh, securing and and then also that locks you into a certain mindset or skill set that you know if you suddenly wanted to try something different, it became you'd end up going back out to another right, right person. Well, I mean, that's another reason that we have an adva- an advantage too. So we get two kinds of clients that we work with really. Ones who, you know, think they can't afford the full service production yet, or they have in-house resources to to your point. There are some who are like, we can do this. We just need you to help us develop the show and create, create a blueprint, uh, maybe of a, a pilot episode. And then we can take it from there. And when we have enough money, we'll come back to you to do full service production. When we're ready to invest more for a whole team, we'll come back to you then. So we'll do a development workshop figure out exactly what the show should be, send them off with a blueprint for, you know, who the first 10 guests are and what should the arc be for the first season and all of that. Um, And then because we have this super, you know, talented pool of audio professionals, we actually do staffing as well. So we can play matchmaker and say, here's the right producer to help you get this MVP in this first season off the ground go forth. Um, and we actually use the talent pool for staffing for Spotify and Wondery and HBO as well, because they're constantly looking for talent for um, freelance projects that, again, don't need full service production, just need this certain kind of sound designer or this certain kind of scriptwriter. Cool. Great. Um, so, you know, that's another way the marketplace and, uh, you know, ties into the creator economy as well. But for the clients who do need full service production, it's interesting. We tell them we're happy to do the teach you how to fish model where we'll do the first season and then you can take it from there if you have some in-house resources. And they say, great, they're excited about that. But when we get to the end of the season, they're like, there's no way we can do this. We need you. And so we usually end up continuing on. I think 90% of our production clients end up re-upping with us because they see how much work goes into making something that is a well-told story and, you know, it's not just as simple as, you know, the Marin model where you sit down, do very little research. I think he's gotten better about doing research. And I do. I love Mark Marin, to be clear. Uh, but it's a very, uh, you know, lackadaisical, like, let's just shoot the shit for an hour and a half. Um, and that's that's not what we're doing. We're planning and doing high quality, thoughtful content. Um, and then there's the promotion piece. So the promotional and marketing piece, like, 
doesn't matter really how good something is. No one's going to listen to it unless you have a way to put it in front of them. And sometimes our clients do have a big enough newsletter or, you know, you know, community where they um, can push it out. We did one for Flow Health, uh, like feminine health tracking app. And their app has I, millions of users. I can't even remember the right number. So I don't want to say the wrong one because it's whatever I'm thinking. It's three times that. And so they put the podcast out in their app and immediately had like insane listenership numbers. So to anyone out there who has an app, uh, they just, you know, come tell us about it because we can help you with that strategy as well. So a lot of what we do is thinking through what's the marketing and promotional strategy that we're going to do to get this out in the world and in front of the right people. Because podcast marketing is really different. Social media ads don't really work for converting to listeners and downloads. They're great for engaging with your existing audience um, or as a branding play that this show exists. And, you know, hopefully if someone sees it four times, they'll remember <laughs> to go download it. Um, but the, the things that really work for podcast marketing are cross promotions on similar shows and ads on the specific players and editorial promotion from Apple and Spotify. And so a lot of that is all relationship based. And so we already have those relationships. So it makes a lot more sense for us to at least do the marketing promotion for that launch season and get the audience to a certain place where it's easy to grow it. But you kind of have to hit that, you know, five, 10,000 listener per episode mark before it becomes a stone rolling down the hill and can, you know, grow on its own. Gotcha. So um, go ahead. Go ahead, Greg. I was actually going to ask uh, just a little bit, I guess, about um, related to what you're just describing. They're like, number one or two, two parts, I guess, related to what you were just describing are is uh, you mentioned sort of scripting and, and, and the format. I'm kind of curious, are there any universal truths you've seen like that are more successful uh, you know, obviously I know like a lot of it depends on like the personality of the people who are involved. Like Ken and I don't script anything as you can obviously tell. Um, and you know, but I don't know, um, perhaps, you know, it's an interesting question, right? Like, should we script what we do? Right. Like, would we do better? You know, we plan our questions, uh, yeah. time, right. But, um, but we don't script out too much, but I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, there, there's so many different formats and styles now that evolved. I'm kind of curious if, you know, sometimes you want to stand apart by coming up with a new format or something like that, but are there any universal wins there? And then the second part related, I guess, is um, in terms of understanding success, like what are the KPIs that people should be thinking about and like, what does success look like? And obviously that's all relative as well, I guess, based on your, your means and your needs. Uh, but I'm just kind of curious for some, some, steering directionality, I guess, like uh, in those areas? Yeah. So um, it really depends in terms of scripting. It depends on the show format. So when we're doing something that is largely interview, same exactly what you're talking about. So we'll do a backgrounder, of course, for the hosts where we're prepared, preparing just like here's everything that's interesting about the guests and that's relevant. Um, we're preparing a list of suggested questions. And then we generally do script the intro and the outro. But ideally, we're getting to the point where the host is just using that as the guide, but we don't obviously want them to sound like they're reading it. So they might do it five times. And by the time they get to the fifth one, it's coming out really naturally. And so 
it's just meant to be a guideline. We will, after we cut the interview, generally script transitions and anything that we need for a segue in there. Um, sometimes we'll do the intro and outro after because now we know what parts of the interview we're going to use. So we can really tailor the introduction and the outro with a teaser for the next episode to the content that we know we're going to be using. Especially if you have a long and winding conversation, we really love a tight edit and I think listeners do too. So if we're cutting down, you know, 75 minutes to a tight 28 minute interview, then you're not going to touch on all the topics. And so um, that's when we might want a custom intro and we might record it afterwards. Now, if we're doing a narrative show uh, where it is going to be largely a, a voiceover or the host is taking us through a story whether that's a true crime or an art heist or what have you, um, then we are going to have a lot more scripting and the writing really matters. We want it to make sure that people are engaged, uh, but we also want it, it needs to be interspersed with the interviews and archival tape and music so that it's keeping the engagement level up, especially when it's just one narrator. We're sort of a program to start to tune out after a while, no matter how interesting the story is, because it just it becomes monotonous. Um, so being mindful of that and making sure that we're keeping the energy up. And even with a one on one interview show, we will block out segments and certain kinds of games to depending on, you know, for like people we will have a, a game. So it's keeping the energy really high and um, making sure that the guest knows to expect, okay, first we're going to do this segment and then that segment and then the third one. So you don't lose their attention during it. And then of course you have fiction shows where everything is scripted and you might even have a full cast. That's a totally different animal. So how do you keep these podcasts authentic? I think that's what people want to listen to. In, in most cases, they want to say like, I'm listening to something. This is truly authentic. This is not a something that's going to sell me. You don't necessarily want to be uh, listening to a company's uh, like their keynotes 24 seven, right? Every week, here's a new keynote. Here's a new keynote. Like, okay, that can get, be tiring. You feel like you're, being sold to. Yeah. And it's easy to understand for like media companies that you work with, like uh, how to, how to create something um, authentic. Um, like, Oh, okay. This is something I can, I can relate to. Same thing from, from us uh, entertainment side from like Netflix or Spotify uh, or Wondery or NBC news. But what about with your more corporate entities? Corporate yeah. Entities? How did, how, what advice would you give them? Or do you give them in terms of saying, Hey, you want to create this? create a podcast. Great. Here's how you can make it, you know, get your message across, but still get people interested and not feel like they're always being sold to. Yeah, that is the magic. And we do, I think there are three main things that we do to ensure that that is going to be the case in the finished product. Um, Cause we want it to be something we're proud of. Right. So the first is in the vetting process when we're, we haven't yet engaged the client and we're deciding whether or not to take the project on. Um, I think that you can get a pretty good read for that. You know, are they just looking to make an ad? Do they have an agenda that we cannot find an interesting story or way into? Then this should just be an ad. So let's just cut you a fantastic 60, 90 second ad that you can put on you know, the relevant business podcast or startup podcast or what have you. And that'll be the smarter strategy if that's really their goal. Um, but most clients understand, you know, they're, they're, these are heads of marketing. They understand that it needs to be like a hide the spinach in the smoothie sort of situation. 
And so that the second thing that we do is really during the during the development process, let's figure out what the compelling story and through line and hook is going to be that we can bring in real human interest stories um, that someone would want to listen to, even if it wasn't a branded like that's the, the sniff test, right, is like, would someone hit play on this and have no idea who made it? And, uh, you know, still just be like, that was a great show. I need to recommend that to a friend. Um, the third thing is, and this doesn't always make sense, but a lot of times uh, for a branded show or, you know, show from a, a certain entity, it, it can make sense to have an outside host. So the one we did for Optum about fixing the broken healthcare system called Until It's Fixed, we had, uh, we brought in a journalist to be the host so that it was, you know, a, an impartial third party at the helm. And I think that was really smart and important for that one, given the subject matter. Um, so I feel like those are the three main things. And then it's just touch points all the way through. Um, I think we'll even have a code word sometimes where we can tell them and be like, we're drifting into ad territory. And they're like, oh, you're right. Okay, we'll, we'll re reword that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's something that we're constantly monitoring for because we want we want to be proud of what we make. Yeah. And what kind of budgets are these companies uh, like uh, estimated budgets? Are you are you seeing them willing to to spend on a podcast? Because obviously, like it's it's one thing to say for an individual like Greg and I, like we, we spend very minimal. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we're not super polished. And, you know, but if we were like, hey, Rachel, um, can you help take this podcast to the next level? Yeah. Um, like how much type of type of time and commitment would there need to be? And and this is I guess this is very similar from for individual creators and also those in internally at these companies. They're not full time creators. They're part time right. creators. So what kind of commitment on like financial and time would you expect these uh, these people to need to spend or or use? Totally. So the time question, I mean, that's the reason that you do hire us because it gives you back so much of your time, whether you're a person or an organization. We are your creative collaborator, uh, but we are ultimately executing on all the editorial, all of the logistics, all of the, you know, scheduling guests and getting them ready to record, making sure they have what they need for equipment, et cetera, et cetera. And then obviously managing all of the post-production process. And so you, the client at that point, just, you just get to be the creative and just make creative decisions um, and the talent potentially, if you're, if you're the host of the show, uh, but that's it. All you have to do is make decisions at these, you know, few milestones along the way, especially after we've done the development workshop and we know exactly what we're making. Um, so the time question means that you get a lot of that back. And, and that is one of the reasons that so many companies work with us because they, they have, to your point, 10 other initiatives going on this quarter, and this is just one of them. Right. So putting that in the hands of someone with a solid track record and a full team where they know that it's going to get done and get done well to their liking, um, I think is key. The money question is trickier, obviously for independent creators. We, we frankly don't work with very many because, um, you know, we have a team of six on a given project. That's just going to be a hefty bill for an independent person to, to handle. Although we do have a couple, um, I can't talk about them yet, but we have a couple coming down the pipe. I'm excited about where it is that, you know, uh, one person who's just doing well for themselves. Um, for brands, generally our minimum, you know, we love to do at least a season of 10 episodes to start anything less than that. We'd have to charge so much per episode because we're getting this whole machine up and running. It just doesn't really make sense. We can do it, but it would be so expensive that I don't, 
I don't think it would make a, a ton of sense. So usually, you know, a, a season one episode of 10 is where we start. And the, that can be as low as 40. So 40,000 is usually like the buy-in um, for the simplest format show. And then as we're adding more guests or segments or script writing, if it's narrative, that's, you know, it can climb and be as high as I think um, we've got one for uh, a, an entertainment company related to superheroes that I cannot name. And, you know, that is well north of six figures. So there's a wide uh, array, obviously, in that world. Um, and then we do also recommend that whatever you spend on production, you spend at least half of that on marketing and promotion, especially for a first season where you're launching a new show. Gotcha. Cool. Oh, okay. Um, well, I guess one, that's awesome, but two, definitely we can't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but if you guys did want a producer editor, we could tap into the staff. No, no, I hear you. No, well, the right look, look, hiring, you know, two people would cost you that much, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I'm not, I'm not surprised, I, I guess, at the rates per se. Well, right? and if you think about video, you know, a three minute yeah. video is, could be $500,000. So uh, yeah, depending on, yeah, <laughs> when you compare it to how much like the quantity and quality of content right. you're getting, it's yeah. still, still a bargain, I think. But I, I guess um, I like that metric you had, though, about like sort of spending, planning the budget or the marketing part built into the other part. Because, <clears throat> um, you know, Ken and I are at stage two, but we yeah. have none of the things you mentioned in stage two. <laughs> um, Wait, we we're stages have, for us? I, I just figured just like we, we just we do have no budget. So, you know, it probably explains a lot. Um, but I guess, um, you know, we have a lot of founders that watch our show as well. And I guess I'm curious, what advice would you have, you know, someone on their way to being able to afford your services? Like how, uh, you know, what's the starter kit for a founder that, you know, you, you like if you're coaching someone to get to you, right? Yeah. What, do, what do you tell them? How do you get them going? Yeah, I mean, I think the development workshop, I mean, we'll do a consultation with with anyone who's who's curious, who's thinking, do I need an audio strategy? Sure, come to us and we'll talk it through and we'll, we'll let you know. Um, we'll let you know honestly. <laughs> if the answer is no, we'll tell you that. Um, but I think that the great place to start is a development workshop. So with that time, it's generally three or four sessions over a month where we're figuring out what should your long-term audio strategy be? And the flagship podcast goes along with that. So if your goal is monetization and you eventually want to build out a small network, like the TED network, for example, then we would be doing like the five-year plan and then figure out what the first show should be so that we can use that to do the spinoffs and, um, and start there. Vice versa, if you're like, we have, this is our content and marketing plan for the entire year. How can podcasts or audio support what we're doing. So it's more of that content marketing side, then we're probably just figuring out what that one show should be. And we're going to spend all of our time exploring the different concepts and guests and formats that it could take. And then we'll have the blueprint at the end of that, you walk away with like a full treatment timeline and budget, as well as recommendations for teams. So even if you did want to go do it yourself, you absolutely could. And we'd, we'd tell you how. Um, and then at that point, if you decide you want to engage us to do the production, then we can also do that. So that's a great starting place because at the very least you end up with recommendations for what your strategy should be, what your first show should be, and you know, what that, that plan should look like to get it off the ground. So let's talk in terms of, um, the post-production side of things like the building a community and, and the marketing side, 
what are some of the, I guess, I guess it's the, the that whole field of dreams approach. Mm-hmm. People like, oh, you know, if you build it, they will come. It's like, okay, you build a podcast and you assume people are going to to want to listen to it, right? Uh, you know, that's not actually the case, correct? I mean, it's like- Not the- anymore, no. Although I do, I get annoyed when people are like, oh, podcasting's done, it's jumped the shark. I'm like, there are- even even if you look at Spotify's numbers with like all the anchor shows, it's four million, right? There's four million podcasts in the world, and if we think about how many YouTube video YouTube channels there are, rather like we are still in such such early days. When you think of any vertical that isn't you know startup founders, entrepreneurs, or true crime, like those two may be getting a little bit saturated, but nothing else is. Even in like the category of parenting there's probably 10 good shows. So if you can just think of a different hook or different talent or different value prop, um, you can still break out in the category of talent. But I do think we're at the point where you would need at least a small budget to get things off the ground. Um, And then once you, assuming you have made really good content and it is truly differentiated in a smart category, then I think you only need to, like the the hill that you need to get to becomes lower and lower. The bar gets lower and lower depending on how unique your content is, how high quality it is. It's offering something that doesn't already exist. Um, Whereas if you're going to enter into a super crowded category with yet another armchair expert, (laughs) you are really going to have to fight tooth and nail and you need a lot of money to break through there. So the podcast is not specifically just between like your work is not specifically with like the marketing team or the communication team or the social media team. You interact with, uh, with many different departments, right? Cause you factor in, okay, you have to find a, find a talent to, to do this. Uh, you have to uh, find ways to market it, to promote it, uh, to, you know, push it out to social media. What about other things like the the far-reaching implications implications with you know other product launches or how it, in, it relates yeah. to the app, uh, and and those that are looking at you know at, at maybe even products. So because it's like how do you interact with uh, like are, are, is a company exploring anything in Web three or NFTs that this could be tied into? Mm-hmm. Like so, you're this is brands should know that this is not something that's specifically siloed into. It shouldn't be. Yeah. So I think perfect example. Are you familiar with Archive yet? A-R-K-I-V-E? I've heard of them. Yes. So they are launching soon and it's a decentralized museum of culture. culture, uh, And so the specific, you know, NFTs and um, items that make it into this museum are actually going to be voted on and chosen by the members, which is super cool. Um, so we are making a podcast for them now that will tie to the launch. And unfortunately, I can't give away the concept, but it is very, very much supporting, you know, what they're doing um, and the, the launch of it and has a lot of interactive pieces as well, because that's, you know, core to who they are, which is so fun. Um, so that's a really smart thing where they came to us six months before they were launching and they were like, we want to make sure that we're really taking a 360 approach. So obviously, we're going to do the social media, we're going to have the interactive, I'm sure they've got a zillion partnerships going on. But what we're doing is specifically plugging into that launch and supporting the way that they're doing it even. Um, So that's a really good one. But yeah, it is, we are always asking in that first development session where we're trying to figure out 
what are all the different things we have to work with in terms of resources and assets internally, whether that's talent, whether that's an incredible graphic designer, what have you. Um, we're also trying to figure out what are your goals and the tentpole events that you have coming up that we could be supporting. Um, and a lot of times it's like an author who has a new book coming out. So they will come to us, you know, six months before the book launch and want a podcast. So they're building up a community before the book comes out. That's another uh, really smart way to do it. Um, so yeah, uh, we are always looking out like what's your roadmap and what are the different initiatives that we can tie in and support in a smart way and then hit our deadlines to make sure it all happens at the same time. <laughs> so in terms of the, these I know you mentioned when we when I asked about like the time and commitment, you, your your initial plans are for you like ten episode a, a one season ten episodes at at a minimum uh, that you would prefer. Would you? Are there any thoughts in terms of like saying, like, hey, I want to, I have a book launch coming out, right? And I just want to do one episode. Just I just want to do a simple podcast episode, right? Maybe an hour, right, or something like that. Put it out there. Is that necessarily a bad thing or should I stop at one season? Should I like if I want to just do it as a season because it might be tailored to a specific campaign, right? To, hey, we just have this uh, new fashion line, right? Maybe like, for example, uh, um, fashion, somebody that's in, into fashion, right? That uh, for like maybe L'Oreal, maybe for around fashion week. OK, let's do a, a, a season, uh, 10, 10 episodes around this year's fashion week or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just stop. Like, is there anything wrong with just doing one season, like a one, one, ep one season thing, and then that's it? There's not. I would say that you're going to get more bang for your buck over time if it's something that's evergreen. So I think podcasts are really incredible for like educational content or, you know, we have a lot of companies that we make internal podcasts as part of their training or even in the age of remote, there's a couple that we do where it's just getting to know new employees. So it'll be like a five minute interview with, you know, the new people who join the company. Obviously that's a big company that has right. lots of people joining. Um, so it's really, really good for those. You absolutely can do a one-off uh, season that's promoting some big initiative that you've got. But I would say that it should be part of an ongoing podcast effort and be a, a feature or a mini series within that. Otherwise, you're going to spend all of this time and effort on launching a new podcast, which is not a small endeavor to grow the audience for that unless you're really doing it like a year or six to 12 months out ahead um, when you probably should have spent those resources doing something more closely tied to the campaign itself. But I did like your idea. You said um, like doing just one episode. So I actually think of that more like if you have a newsletter that goes out, there are a couple that I love that have an audio version just at the top, just right. linked to the files that where you can listen to the newsletter if you want, instead of reading it. And I, love that. And so that becomes their podcast. Um, and it's just them reading the newsletter, you know, it probably takes you all of 15 minutes to, to produce if you're doing it yourself, you know, you're just taking out a couple ums and ahs. And, but, um, I think that's a great, I don't know if we'd call that a podcast unless you're also putting it out on the RSS feed, but I actually think that can be a really cool initiative to have an audio piece to something that you're already doing. Yeah, it seems like with uh, with some marketing campaigns, some companies might uh, might be like, oh, uh, all right, so we'll put out this to promote this product or whatever. We'll put out a mic. We'll do a microsite. We'll do an email to our customers. Uh, we'll obviously do some ads. Uh, we'll promote it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, blah blah blah. Um, have some nice little graphics. And oh well, let's 
you know, what else can we do to, to hype this up? Okay, well, let's do a yeah. podcast. But then it's like, oh, we're launching tomorrow. It's kind of late for us to do it, to spin up a podcast or we're, we're launching in a week. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, how do we, we can't exactly have that, you know. But imagine if with that newsletter, there was an audio version linked and I got to hear the founder's voice talking about how excited they were about X, Y, or Z. Because again, it's that emotion and that passion that you can hear in someone that you kind of can lose over a newsletter, especially when we're all skimming it. We're looking at the three bullet points. We're looking to see if there's a discount in here. And otherwise we're like, great, new feature. You know, but if I had even a four minute, uh, you know, audio spot where I could actually hear the founder's voice and how excited they were and why this matters, I don't know. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. So it's also just the novelty of it. People would, I think people would click on that. Interesting. Uh, Greg, any final questions that you have? Mm, I guess just, you know, we, we always like to try to look forward a bit. Where do you think it's going, right? Mm -hmm. what, what's next? You know, um, <clears throat> with, you know, a lot of folks, I think, thought, you know, like um, social audio and, and live audio was going to be the thing. And that, was, you know, obviously it's not that I don't I never thought it was going to be the end of podcasting. But what do you think comes next for, you know, for the this ecosystem? And, and are you advising your clients to start thinking about anything new, you know, metaverse and all these other types of yeah. to express yourself? Well, I have to say I'm a fan of edited content. I like mine curated. So I have been interested to see, you know, that Spotify shuttered green room. And um, I think that that had such a moment during the pandemic that now that people are, you know, outside and have social lives again, you know, we've definitely seen a dip. Um, so what I'm actually advising clients is that they really need to be thinking about or letting us think about what the visual of their podcast should be. And that doesn't mean not everyone needs video, but YouTube is the second biggest audio platform in the world for podcasts, um, certainly internationally. And so we have come up with a few different ways where obviously we record video. Great. We splice it together just like this with its template. Looks great. But for shows that don't want audio, whether it's sensitive material or it's harder to get guests to say yes, um, especially with our A-list talent where they're like, if I don't have to do hair and makeup, I'm there tomorrow, you know? Uh, so we have a lot of different uh, ways that we can create an engaging visual, whether it's, you know, the show art that has just a little movement. So it's, you know, a good backgrounder. We've even made some listening environments where it's an animated illustration of the world in which uh, the podcast is taking place that are incredible. So that's what we're trying to move clients to now, making sure that the podcast does live on YouTube because it's so searchable. It's so good for discovery. So many people do like watching podcasts there, even if they're listening as a backgrounder. Um, so that I think is going to be really, really important for the future. And then also this is more for the media companies, but obviously the, you know, the pipeline of podcasts to TV and film is getting more exciting every day. And uh, I think that media companies should be thinking about that now uh, or any company that has, you know, uh, a documentary under their belts or something like there's no reason you shouldn't do the audio version 
of it first because it's so much less expensive, but it's, it's better than, I think it's better than a book because you can hear real voices. It makes the story come to life in a different way where then a development executive at a TV or film studio uh, is, can hear it, can see it, can know what this would look like. So I just think it more, makes it more ripe for adaptation. So if you are somewhere in the media world thinking about that, I think that's that we're going to see a lot more of that, which is so exciting. Cool. Um, my, I guess my final question is, what do you tell your clients or what would you tell creators or podcasters uh, to motivate them to continue doing their shows? Because at some point it can feel like, oh, you're not getting the necessary traction because everyone has different KPIs. Yeah. Everyone has different metrics, you know, especially in the corporate world. Um, but for like Greg and I, ours would be like, oh, are we getting listeners? Are we getting people watching or people downloading or, or reaching out to us? Um, so it can kind of feel a bit demoralizing for mm -hmm. people. What would you tell, like, they might come into you, like, you know, after five episodes, like Rachel, like we're not seeing the traction. How do we, like, we, we just want 86, the whole thing. Like what would yeah. you tell them to do? What would you, what would your advice be to them? I, it's hard because so many folks are doing this, um, alone, you know, it is a really, like, it's often a one, two or three person venture and it can be, it can feel really, really hard and really like you're, you know, in a silo, um, chugging along and, and that you can't see that it's going to be worth it in the end. But I think that the best thing you can do is plug into communities with folks who are in the same position. So, you know, obviously pod people is one of them, but there's so many, there's so many awesome communities out there, both for amateur and for professionals who are working on podcasts. Um, I know there's a bunch of discords. So Nick Qua over at Hot Pod, uh, he recently sold Hot Pod to Vox, but he created a great discord with a few other journalists um, that were all, it was related to Audio World. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I'll send it to you. And there's, there's so many Facebook groups. The New York Times has a great Facebook group for um, podcasts and podcast listening, but there's a lot of professionals in there. I think it's really important that you have people, whether it's Slack or Discord or Facebook group, that you can be talking about these things too, and then facilitating uh, cross promos with them as well. So it's like you're getting, I love cross promos because you're getting the community um, and the networking within the industry as well as the boost from listenership. So that's really great. There's also so many good newsletters, which I think reading about the industry, whether it's the news of podcasts and audio industry, or just there's a lot of good ones that are like recommendations, just makes you feel like you're plugged in. And you can also pitch your show to these newsletters so that it gets featured, which has a really great lift um, because it's a link that people can actually click. So those are really effective. Um, yeah, I mean, the answer is always community and feeling like you're not alone, you know, and that you can ask people questions and be like, what am I doing wrong here? Does anyone have an idea for a show that we should guess on each other's or do a cross promo? I mean, that's when it starts to feel like you're on a team, even if it's just within the industry. Cool. Well, thank you, Rachel, for, for joining Greg and I on, on this episode of The Created Economy. It was, it's, it's, been, it's been so great, um, and especially hearing about the future of podcasting and, and what you're doing. Congratulations with, with Pod People. And for everyone that wants to- making Ken feel inadequate in all of our podcasting <laughs> failures. I'm sorry. You're not. You guys are doing better than most. Most people quit after three episodes. I mean, it's... It, it, this is basically Greg just slave drives. He's like, okay, I'm just like, okay, when are we starting? Are we supposed to be doing episodes or whatever? He's like, no, 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 just keep going. Just keep going. I'm like, <laughs> okay. And I'm just, I'm starting to upload this stuff onto Anchor. And I'm like, and they have the little, Anchor has this whole like, uh, 
what season, what episode? I'm like, um, okay, season one, episode 45. I'm like, this is the long, this is like longer than a typical ep- uh, season for Law and Order. Like, what the hell? Like, I, at which point do we break? It's the same length, actually, as a typical Law and That's Order. That's really season. funny. Yeah. Did you know that you can do video on Anchor now? Yes, we, I, I, we I, are. Can can put all of our videos into Anchor? Great. Awesome. You're not allowed to say we. I said <laughs> I did it, not Craig. Yeah. So all of the bad videos that you see on Anchor, Ken uploaded those. <laughs> it's always, always something that he turns it around. Uh, Mike, is there a way? And let me ask you, Rachel. Is there a way that we can just like censor, like block off this little square? You're <laughs> so Greg is not showing. I need some deep fake technology to remove. Ken, Ken, you know you need the tension for any good story. We need the peaks. We need the valleys as well as the peaks. It's very important that we're all never, along for this ride. You're never as, as what I've learned from journalism. You're never supposed to make yourself part of the story, though, Rachel. So it's no. like you're supposed to be observing other people having this commentary. This this is you know we're not we're not we're not news here. Ken should know better. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Well put. Uh, but anyways, uh, for more information about Pod People, uh, check out PodPeople.com. P-O-D-P-E-O-P-L-E.com, um, and check out and and for more questions, any questions you have. King Rachel, she's a yeah. person. Um, and Happy to. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us. Um, and for those that are interested, as we've been talking about, you can check out all these episodes of The Created Economy on your favorite podcasting app. And just because Greg needs to be educated, you can find it on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, Amazon, and Audible. I think there's. I think that's all of them. I, I don't know. I, I need to remove all the fake ones you were mentioning. <laughs> eventually put it into like you know whatever uh myspace has for their podcasting app or, oh my god i just heard napster got bought uh again also and uh and limewire that has changed hands more times than <laughs> wow well we're just waiting for real networks to just come back you know and yeah and actually i think real networks are still around but i don't think they're actually necessarily in the media player space anymore because yeah. i don't have to update my windows pc anymore with their with their stuff (laughs) all right well thank you rachel once again uh and we will chat with you hopefully let let us know what else is coming up yeah people we're happy to have you on the show yeah Um, let me know if you need a a refresh because things are changing all the time obviously very new industry which is what i love about it it's so messy and we're kind of making our own rules as we go along which is my favorite but um thank you so much this was super fun pleasure Happy to join anytime. Answer all the podcasting cues. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Putting Greg on the big screen. There we go. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, Check back for more episodes of the Creative Economy on our YouTube and also anywhere you listen to podcasts. Cool. And with that, we bid you all a fond farewell and we will check you check out check in with you later on. See you later. 